when we view humans and our abilities and qualities as, as malleable, as things that we can develop, then we tend to take more risks. We try things that we haven't done before. We, uh, you know, we, we persevere more when we make mistakes or when we experience failure. We try again, we ask for help, we try different strategies. Hello everyone, this is Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for listening to the Optimistic Outlook podcast. This is our last episode of 2021. And like last year, I wanted to end the year by stepping outside of our infrastructure conversations and using this time a little differently. You might remember last year, I had on the poet Maggie Smith to discuss her best-selling book, Keep Moving. Maggie shared with us an important concept we really needed during the most difficult days of the pandemic in the US. That when we're faced with challenging times, we don't have to limit ourselves to figuring out how to get through it. Challenging times can make us stronger. And as we say on this show, moments of intense disruption provide the greatest opportunity to shape the future we want. So the guest I'll bring on today, Eduardo Briteño, brings a perspective that I believe is right for this moment as we look ahead to 2022. It's really clear right now that it's not possible to go back to how things were. We have to go forward. Not to mention, 2022 will mark a historic moment for America's infrastructure, thanks to the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure law. But it's not only about investment and technology. We need to think about building infrastructure differently than we have in the past, to come up with an innovative way to do things more sustainably, more equitably, and more efficiently. So what Eduardo will teach us is that our ability to go forward requires what's called a growth mindset. He's one of the world's leading experts on cultivating growth mindset cultures. And after hearing him speak at our Siemens Business Conference, I invited him on the podcast so we could dig a little deeper. Eduardo, thanks so much for joining the podcast. It's great to see you again. Great to see you, Barbara. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want our audience to come away with a clear understanding of what growth mindset is and how they can put it into practice. But first, I want to have them get to know you a little bit more. When did you first become aware of the term growth mindset? And what led you to immerse yourself so deeply in the subject? Sure. So this was uh, almost 14 years ago in 2007 um, when I met Stanford professor Carol Dweck. I was a graduate student at Stanford, and I had gone there in search of a career where I could develop a sense of purpose and meaning and contribution. So what had happened is a few years prior, uh, my wife, Allison, who we've now been married for 22 years, but at the time we've been married for, for only a handful of years. And in those handful of years, she had switched jobs a couple of times, like every year or two, she would switch jobs. And she had found some interesting jobs. She had worked at a private equity firm, at a media advertising firm, at a TV station. But then she switched to become a public school teacher, a second grade bilingual teacher in East Palo Alto. And when she did that change, I saw an incredible change in her. Like she found a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning in her work that made her life and her work so much better. I wanted that for myself. And I went to her classroom. I saw her interact with the students and the parents. And I was like, wow, you know, I definitely don't have this and I want this. And she's still an educator. She's a professor of education. Um, and so at the time I had spent a couple of years in investment banking and five years in venture capital in Silicon Valley, investing in technology companies. And I had learned a ton. I had had a good experience 
But I came to realize that these great companies were going to get funded whether or not I was working in venture capital. So my existence wasn't actually making a difference in somebody else's life. And I also felt like I wasn't a valuable advisor to the entrepreneurs. Like I was sitting on boards, you know, expected to give advice to CEOs. And I was very inexperienced. I had never worked at a startup before. And so I felt inauthentic. I felt like a fake. And that was creating stress for me. So I said, you know, this is, this is not how I want to live. So I'm going to go to grad school to find something where I could really feel like I'm making a contribution to other people. And at the same time, uh, Carol Dweck had research growth mindset for almost three decades at the time. And uh, she wanted to, she had seen the power of growth mindset. So she wanted to put it out into the world and expose the world to it, to what she had found. And so she had published uh, her seminal book, Mindset, the prior year. Uh, it's called Mindset, the New Psychology of Success. It became a great bestseller after that. Um, and uh, she had developed a program with some colleagues to teach a growth mindset to students, to middle school students. And she connected with a classmate of mine doing networking and they connected us. So we started meeting every two weeks to get to know each other and to explore what we could do together. And when I read Carol's book, it really changed my life. It, it, it gave me so much insight about how my fixed mindset had gotten in the way of my goals in my past, how, you know, I had limited myself and I had been fearful of taking risks, whether interpersonal risk or, you know, risks in sports or risks, risks at work. And that had prevented me from growing faster and from being able to achieve more and to, you know, to contribute more. And so I, I, this is very powerful for me and I wanted to help other people come to these same insights and I wanted to help schools and organizations uh, develop these growth mindset cultures that she was founding, finding was so powerful. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, over time, I was asked to do more and more public speaking and that's now what I do uh, 100% of the time. But it, it, I'm very lucky and privileged to be able to do this work because it's something that I am passionate about. What a great story, discovering your passion. But you've uh, heard recently, and I'll share this with our listeners, that at Siemens, we've made this growth mindset truly one of our four strategic priorities. And I've been using my own definition of growth mindset. I, I always talk about the fact that if a person has curiosity and initiative, then they have all the tools they're going to need to really build a lifelong career. But but I'd rather learn from you and, and having heard you at the Siemens Business Conference, you know, learning about the true definition of growth mindset. Uh, would you take a moment and make sure that we all hear that definition? Sure. And, and I think, you know, curiosity and taking initiatives are wonderful things. They're a very important part of my life. And I, I agree with you that they are keys to success. Uh, what we mean by growth mindset. So growth mindset was something that was uh, discovered and coined and defined by Carol Dweck in the 1980s. And uh, what, what she defined it as is the belief that our abilities or qualities are malleable or changeable, things that can be changed. Uh, so basically it's the, the belief or the perspective or the perspective that people can change uh, or that we can improve understanding that in order to improve, we have to change. We can't get better without changing. 
Um, and so, for example, in the research, when they want to, to research how people in a growth mindset behave differently than people in a fixed mindset, they ask questions to see whether people, for example, see intelligence as something that can change or something that is fixed in people. And so depending on how people view intelligence, they behave differently. That's what they have found. Or, you know, the leadership, whether people believe that people are natural leaders or leadership is developed or our ability to work with numbers or to do poetry or anything else. And what they have found is that when we view humans and our abilities and qualities as, as malleable, as things that we can develop, then we tend to take more risks. We try things that we haven't done before. We, uh, you know, we, we persevere more when we make mistakes or when we experience failure. We try again. We ask for help. We try different strategies. We uh, seek more feedback. We, when, when other people succeed beyond our levels, we kind of observe them and learn from them rather than feel less than and feel threatened by their competence. So there's a lot of benefits that, that have been shown in research that when we view humans as able to change, we, we learn and improve more. So we innovate more also, we're more creative. And we also develop more positive relationships with one another because for one reason is when we engage in negative behaviors with one another, if we are in a fixed mindset, we tend to label the other person and then engage in like warfare and argument without listening versus asking more questions, sharing our perspective, understanding that other people can learn from us and engaging in much more productive conflict resolution. I, I really love this idea. And I want to repeat it for our listeners, this idea that growth mindset is not a behavior, it's a perspective. And core to a growth mindset is believing that we're capable of changing and also believing that others are capable of changing. Um, but, but there's another concept I want to introduce here, and that's focus. Some might interpret growth mindset as a call to action to go out and learn as many new things as possible. You know, maybe I'll learn an instrument or pick up a new language or I'll pick up a new hobby. Yet, I really think it's growth mindset is more focused than that. It isn't about learning new things just for the sake of learning new things, right? It's about performing at our highest level in the areas we've chosen to dedicate ourselves to, our careers, for example, or for Siemens, our dedication to supporting industry and infrastructure. How does focus come into play with growth mindset? Yeah, so it would not be effective to try to learn everything about everything. And that's not what we mean by growth mindset. Like you're saying, it, it just, it wouldn't be effective to try to do that, like to try to learn 200 languages just for one thing, right? And so we, we engage in learning not only because we believe we can learn, which is a growth mindset, but also because we, we see a value in learning. We see some relevance or purpose um, to, to what we're going to be learning about. Um, so, so a growth mindset is necessary, but not sufficient to engage in learning. We also need to find relevance or value, and we also need to know how to learn. Um, and so, for example, you know, in our work, like you said, at Siemens, you, you're dedicated to supporting infrastructure. Uh, that if, if, if you want to help improve infrastructure, you probably want to learn about things that are relevant to that, like the things that you explore in your podcast, right? Like new manufacturing technologies. Like I recently learned about additive manufacturing from one of your podcast episodes, or I hear you uh, talk about uh, economy trends, like, you know, the job openings and the job trends. Uh, I hear you 
talk about kind of policies related to infrastructure, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how to lead more generally and how to manage more generally. All of those things are relevant to your purpose of helping improve infrastructure. We can be kind of proactive about what, how we want to grow, to what purpose, and then the what we decide to learn about toward that purpose can be either as a specialist where we go really deep in one area, or it can be like going deep in a few areas, like I think you explore in your podcast, uh, or it can be more of a generalist going broad. Uh, but there's generally some value to going broad in a sh shallow way, but then also going deep on a, on a couple of different areas. Because when we, when we connect different areas, we end up being more creative and more innovative. Yeah, that's so cool. At Siemens, we've been on this journey of becoming a different company. It used to be that we were this hardware company building products that would just be sold into projects that would enhance infrastructure, transportation, et cetera. But today we are we're a focused technology company. We are actually combining the virtual and the physical worlds. We're working software as well as hardware. And it takes a real growth mindset to truly believe that each of us can make the transition and play a role in the future company we are becoming. So, so this is really key in this perspective that we can change, can learn new things, but also um, you have something to teach us about when we're learning and when we're performing. And in the show notes, we'll be linking your TED Talk where you help us understand that an important part of the growth mindset is grasping these two zones, a learning zone, a performance zone. And I want to spend some time on this. Help us understand the difference. Absolutely. Um, so in, in order to engage in effective learning, we have to believe we can learn. That's a growth mindset. We have to see relevance in it and we have to understand how to learn. And that's this last question that you asked is about how to learn. What often happens is that we have this vague sense that in order to improve and to learn and to get better, we just have to work hard. If we work hard, we'll get better. But actually that is not specific enough to how we improve because often what we end up doing is we work hard at execution and performance, which means we're trying to minimize mistakes all the time, just trying to do the job as best as we can. Uh, minimizing mistakes, and that leads to stagnation. So there's two different types of effort, and they're both important. One is effort to perform or to execute, trying to do the best we can and to achieve the goal. And the other is effort to improve. And in effort to improve, we are going beyond what we know. We are exploring beyond what, what we know. We are trying new things. We're experimenting. We're soliciting feedback. And it is these different behaviors that lead to, to continuous improvement and to innovation. And we need to engage in both of those uh, in, in the workplace in order to perform and to improve. And ironically, what, what often happens is that in work and in life, we're, we're engaging in chronic performance. So we're always in the performance zone, always trying to minimize mistakes. And ironically, that leads to lower performance over time. You know, the way to increase performance is to actually make sure that we regularly engage in the learning zone. Yeah, and let's let's maybe give our listeners some practical advice about how to get into the learning zone. As you say, so many of us are just pressed by the demands of the job day to day that they think they can't find time. Should we be 
intentionally setting aside time each week, each month to get into the learning zone? Well, that can definitely be very powerful to, to have dedicated time to the learning zone. That often is not something that for, for a lot of us, we struggle to find that dedicated time. And so I'm going to also share a different approach. Um, but dedicated time can be really powerful. The, the greatest achievers in, in a lot of different domains do spend dedicated time each week to engaging in the learning zone, whether it is, you know, in business, like, you know, people like Oprah, you know, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, all these people engage in the learning zone for at least five hours per week. A lot of them like to read, but that could be listening to podcasts or watching videos or a lot of, in a lot of other domains, there's deliberate practice. It's like trying something, a specific skill beyond our skill level, getting feedback and iterating. Um, so, so dedicated time to the learning zone is really valuable, but I think a greater opportunity in the modern workplace is to, instead of to block large blocks of time to dedicate to the learning zone is to change the way we work, to change the way we go about doing our work on a daily basis. Because the reality is that we can engage in the learning zone and in the performance zone at the same time. We can do our job and achieve our goals in a way that's also going to lead to improvement. So how do we do that? We do that first by you know taking on challenges, doing things that we haven't done before. That's going to lead us to need to figure out ways to learn how to do those things, right? Uh, so that's going to force us into the learning zone. Uh, we can uh, make sure that we are working in different ways, not just doing the same thing over and over again. So that means reflecting regularly on, hey, what's, what's working, what's not working, what might work better, so what do I try differently? It means soliciting other people's ideas, not just thinking that we always know best. Uh, it means soliciting feedback. So uh, experimenting. So these are all ways to go about work in a way that we're always continuing to evolve, continuing to explore different ways of working so that we improve over time. You know, I have the privilege of getting to learn on the job. And, and this is a moment <laughs> of learning for me. I'm actually in the learning zone as we have this conversation at picking up things that I'll be able to put into use as I change the way I interact with my team. So it, this is really powerful, this idea that this isn't necessarily just about setting aside time. Yeah, and if I can yeah. comment on that, Barbara, like, uh, you know, sometimes we, we have this idea or many people have an idea that the learning zone is for people who are less capable, right? So they're the ones who need to improve. But in a growth mindset, we think that everybody can always continue to improve, right? So Olympic gold medalists who are the best in the world, they wake up the next day working to continue to get even better, even though they're the best in the world. And if you think about, for example, uh, coaches, right? Um, when, when Eric Smith used to be the CEO of, of Google, um, he was one of his board members, John Doerr said, Hey, you need a coach. And Eric said, uh, I don't need a coach. I'm really good. <laughs> and so they engaged in a conversation and John Doerr said, well, look, you know, professional tennis players, he liked tennis. They, they have a few different coaches, right? Like, so if you're an amateur tennis player or an amateur sports uh, athlete, you might have one coach for 25 players. If you're a professional, if you're really good, you have several coaches per player. So the more, the better people are 
they they are that much better because they engage in the learning zone and because they continue to improve. So that's that is absolutely something that that we can all benefit from. It's not just for some people. Yeah, right. This key point that the people who lead teams are actually in a really unique position to create a culture where employees, team members can get into the learning zone. How can, how can managers and team leaders actually cultivate that culture? First, uh, we can clarify that this is a goal. This is something that we want, right? And ideally, not as something that is mandated, but as something that creates space for people to react to it and see if it's something that's resonating and for them to give perspectives, share what they need from one another in order to improve. So for example, a a leader could share this podcast conversation between you and me with all the teammates say, Hey, I want everybody to listen to this conversation. And then we're going to have a meeting and we're going to talk about where this resonates and whether we, you know, how we're doing with regards to the learning zone, what people see as opportunities and do we want as a team to invest more in becoming better at engaging in the learning zone regularly and create space for people to to share their perspectives and what they learn, what they need from one another. And what we find is that this really lands well with people. People want to do it. And so when they have a choice and they also have a space to to raise their ideas and their their concerns, uh, then that becomes a lot more more effective than just a a manager kind of dictating it or, or, or managing or or kind of just saying this is what we're doing and and uh, and nobody else has a voice. So that's one thing. It's like making it a priority uh, if that's something that the team is on board with, which we find they always are. Uh, second, clarifying what systems and habits are we going to use in order to improve over time. So what are we going to actually do to engage in the learning zone? For example, are we do we want to engage in more experimentation? Do we want to engage in more you know, empathy interviews with customers? Do we want to solicit more feedback from one another? Uh, do we want to change the conversation in our weekly meetings? Do we want to insert a specific topic into those meetings to share what we've learned recently, for example? So what are we going to do? And, and putting those systems and habits and tools in place. And then third, and very, very important, is model learning. Like you just talked about, you know, that that you learn through this podcast and interviewing people. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, I learn every day from listening to your podcast and other podcasts and soliciting feedback. Every time I do a session, I solicit feedback from people and I learn from that so that I can do it better the next time. And But when we, as, as leaders... We, we need to model learning because often we engage in learning in private behind closed doors in our office or at home where people don't see us and they don't realize that we engage in learning because we might act like know-it-alls in front of them. We might feel like as a leader, I need to know the answers. I need to be decisive. I need to be sure of myself. And when we behave like that, even if we're saying that learning is important, if people see us act like know-it-alls, they're going to emulate our behaviors. Our behaviors are going to act to, to, to speak louder than our words. And so we need to say learning is important, but also show it and say, you know, solicit feedback, soliciting feedback from the people we lead is super important. Sharing what we're working to improve, asking for their feedback along the way, doing these types of behaviors. Yeah, yeah. Having these systems and then and then modeling uh, really helps people come along. I, you know, we we often are in situations where the performance really matters, and and yet 
there are times when we have to think and reach. I, I, we gave the example at the Siemens Business Conference of a team in mobility who needed to bring new technology to the table in order to win a contract that was absolutely critically important to us. And, and that team, uh, they, their management actually modeled the learning zone for them, gave them the safety net that enabled them to be bold and, and of course, that's what it took for us to reach far enough to, to win the contract ultimately. So these, um, sometimes it can be important to our performance actually to be in the learning zone, as you say. Now, it seems we've been thinking a lot about customer impact. Um, we know a manufacturer might be thinking about how data could shape new business models and government leaders managing infrastructure projects and policy might be thinking about how to engage with the private sector more effectively to bring in principles such as equity and sustainability. We know we can't just repeat what's already been done. We need to be able to anticipate customer needs and develop innovative solutions that take us forward. So what advice do you have for us? What are some of the core habits people can practice on a daily basis to stay engaged in growth mindset to deliver customer impact? So different core habits can be more applicable to different domains and different skills. Uh, so, but I'll share one that is universal, but for example, in that mobility example, you know, they, this team took the challenge of doing something that hadn't been done before, you know, and that meant, you know, learning about new things and experimenting, trying new things to see what worked, what didn't work, what we could learn from those things. And as a result of that, you came up with a mobility solution that, you know, is carbon neutral, is better for the environment, is better for people. And you are creating the world that, that you want to see, you know, and that's what it takes. It takes going beyond what we have done before. So taking on big challenges is one. Uh, soliciting feedback is maybe like the most powerful habit in the workplace, whether we're soliciting feedback from customers or from our colleagues. That's something we want to be doing frequently and broadly. So for, for listeners who are not soliciting feedback at least twice a week, I encourage you to work to make that a habit. And when we solicit feedback, then other people start soliciting feedback too. We create a feedback culture and we can learn so much more about one another and we can get to work with one another so much more effectively. Um, but I think that the universal habit that I think is most powerful is to every morning remind ourselves of what it is that we're working to improve. And that can evolve over time. But if there's one habit that is stable, that, that doesn't change very much, that allows me to remind myself, okay, what I'm working to improve now is X, then that ensures that I'm always continuing to change and evolve myself and improve over time and to put in effort on this new area that I'm trying to work on. Because the brain is kind of wired in a, in a certain way at any moment in time, and it takes effort to change that. So to have a habit that is automatic, that reminds me of what, what I'm applying that effort toward uh, is something that I think is game-changing. Eduardo, last December, we had on the poet Maggie Smith, who taught us that optimism can be learned. She herself says she was born a pessimist. And then she turned to optimism, not just to get through a difficult time in her life, but to actually come out of it stronger. And there might be people listening or watching who get sort of stuck in the performance zone or who have what you've called a fixed mindset about their own abilities. Can growth mindset be learned, Eduardo? And where does someone start? 
Absolutely. So a lot of research shows that we can develop a growth mindset and at, at any age. Sometimes we, we might have a tendency, a lot of us, to label other people as a growth mindset person or as a fixed mindset person. That reflects a fixed mindset on our part. We're thinking that they're fixed the way they are. In fact, you know, mindsets can change. And like Maggie, and that was a great uh, episode. I enjoyed listening to it. Uh, I was also, I grew up as a pessimist and I also grew up in a lot of ways in a fixed mindset as well. And so, you know, one, one important step w- it can be, I, I encourage for people who haven't read Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, to do so, so that we understand uh, what, what mindset is and what it leads us to do is to reflect and to increase our self-awareness on where our fixed mindset is getting in the way of things that we care about. So once we realize, okay, here are areas of mind, and we all experience fixed mindsets part of the time, it's part of being human. And so once we become more aware of when we're in a fixed mindset, how that's affecting us, how that's creating self-fulfilling prophecies, then that gives us the motivation to, to, to work at it and to change. And that makes us more effective at change. And, and in order to develop a growth mindset, then we can think about, okay, what, what do I want to improve? What do I want to change in myself? And then research, can that be changed? Like are people, who, people who are really good at this, have they worked to develop that? And how have they developed it? So when we research effective learning zone strategies or effective learning strategies to become really good at something, whether it is sales or empathy or conversations or numbers or analysis or whatever it is, then uh, learning what those learning strategies are and trying them, then we realize that they work, right? We actually get better through using these strategies. And so that changes our mindset that then we realize, oh, this thing that I used to think is fixed, it was fixed because I was making it fixed. I was not engaging in learning zone strategies because I thought that I couldn't change. So of course I wasn't changing. Now that I'm behaving differently and I'm trying to improve, I see that I can improve and that changes our mindset. And then that accelerates our growth. Yeah, this the key is exactly the same as in so many topics we've been talking about here. It's times of disruption that give us an opportunity to drive change. I mean, for a lot of us who perhaps are in a fixed mindset, the disruption of COVID or the disruption of the societal unrest we've been going through has really uh, really shaken us out of our old comfort zone, gotten us to think differently. Now the question is, what do we want? And if we can truly envision what we want, then we can recognize the steps and the opportunities that will actually get us there. I love to ask each of my guests, imagine a future where you've been successful in deploying this this wonderful thing you've been working on. Tell us what the world and the future looks like if we all embrace a growth mindset. Oh, that would be a future world of learners, you know, and a world of learners is, is a much better world. Like we, we would be exploring a lot more. We would be discovering a lot more, uh, you know, asking more questions, learning more about one another, experiencing wonder and awe a lot more and, 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 uh, becoming more adaptive in a complex and fast changing world. And also creating the world that we want to see, you know, taking risks and being innovative, like you're doing, you know, in the mobility business and in your other businesses. Um, so, uh, so a world of learners is is what it would be, and and this is something that 
we can actually create. Like each of us has the power to cultivate ourselves as a motivated and effective learner. And when we do that, when we're successful at that, it actually changes our world. It changes our life. You know, we are um, learning more about other people, developing deeper relationships with them because we are sharing more that they can learn from and we're asking more questions and better listening to them. So that, that leads to better and deeper relationships. Uh, it leads us to take more risks and to grow more. So to be able to contribute more in our work and in our personal lives. Uh, and that's something that is absolutely kind of within our power. It's also in our power to greatly influence our team so we can share what we're learning here with our teammates and collaborate with them to create a world of learners within our team. And we can do the same thing with our, with, within our organization. And I'm so excited that Siemens has identified growth mindset as one of your four key strategic priorities. Lots of other companies have also identified that. So I actually think you know, this future vision of a world of learners is very achievable and we're all working on it. Siemens is working on it. Lots of organizations are working on it. And that's what makes me optimistic about the future. We can actually create a better world and it is within our power to do so. Well, count me in. We're going to need this growth mindset to address all the challenges ahead, but we're in very capable hands. Thank you so much for your help with this topic today, Eduardo, and, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Barbara, for your podcast and all you do. I look forward to seeing you soon. So I want to direct you again to our show notes to access Eduardo's TED Talks. You'll also find a blog post I wrote recently about the possibilities ahead as we make bold investments in America's infrastructure. I look forward to introducing you to more guests in 2022 who will help us see the full range of opportunities as we innovate across rail, the power grid, electric vehicles, and manufacturing, and as we accelerate climate action, and as we use technology to reinvent the nation's supply chain. And I hope you'll take some time to give me some feedback. I really welcome your, your posts, your comments, tweets, any way that you want to reach out and give me feedback about how to make these podcasts ever more effective. I wish you and your families a safe and happy new year. And as always, I thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com slash optimist.